When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. This week, we're going in search of a Trump doctrine. President Donald Trump has just returned from his first lengthy trip abroad. You've heard the speeches. You saw the photos. You know all about the orb. Now it's time to consider the ways Trump's dealings with our European allies and the kingdom of Saudi Arabia point to some coming shifts in American foreign policy and illustrate the way Trump wants to reshape the world and the United States' role in it. Buckle up, this is going to get bumpy. And after looking beyond our borders, we'll then come home to Capitol Hill, where the lives of Republican legislators have continued to get more and more complicated and more and more frustrating as the ongoing Russia probes steal time away from shaping a legislative agenda. We'll also try to find out what Democratic lawmakers are up to while their counterparts are mired in all of Trump's melodrama. I'm Jason Lincolns with HuffPost reporters Akbar Ahmed, Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Matt Fuller. And here's what happened first. Sup, yo? Do you know what this is? It's a podcast. So that happened. Politics and shit. Woo! Welcome. Uh, my name is Jason Lincoln. I'm the editor of Get the Press at HuffPost. We've got a great show for you today. We're really happy because we're all back for this moment. We've got Arthur Delaney. Hi. Sitting here. And uh, he's technically on book leave right now. He's writing a book called uh, Go, Go, Galt, Go, 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 My God, a series of Ayn Randian erotic fiction on Reason Magazine's uh, erotica imprint. Zach Carter. That's really imaginative and impressive, Lincolns. I appreciate it. Uh, well, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's going to be an impressive book. I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to be very exciting. Um, you've been away. I've been away. I was, I was in Spain. Uh, nice which was unrelated country. to the book leave, just going there for fun. Uh, yeah, wonderful place. Uh, and it's interesting when you when you not that I talked to every person in Spain, but what you didn't? Yeah, I know. Uh, but when you go to different cities in Spain, you're not going to give. And us- they, they can immediately tell that you're an American. Uh, they, the first thing they want to talk to you about is Donald Trump. Oh, uh, for real? Yeah. And man, they think Trump is hilarious. Not the second season of Stranger Things. They want to talk about Donald Trump. No, they want to talk. They're like ah. Trump, huh? And then they laugh, and you're like, ah, uh, yeah, haha. And I think he's really funny everywhere. It's like he's a big joke. And then, and then, you know, if if the conversation continues, they will then say, I mean, it's horrible what he's going to do to people's lives. But boy, what a clown, huh? Very funny. And and you can tell they don't, you know, it's very lighthearted. And then um, the, the the other American political news doesn't really like filter up uh but the the greg gianforte thing with ben jacobs when you're beating up journalists sure sure when i explain that to people then they get very quiet and they say that's very bad uh so you know are are these are are these liberal people yeah i mean i was going to cities in spain so mostly in the south so they're they're not like oh trump is ruining the world we must resist they're just cracking up about it yeah great for the most part but but then when then when the other authoritarian stuff that's happening in the united states is described to them they think about francisco franco oh you mean people initiated lighthearted conversations with you and then you turned it into a a serious direction and they they weren't happy anymore you became captain bring down yeah don't talk to zach people (laughs) (laughs) you know that lesson learned spain (laughs) the trump hole is real though i mean it's it's funny it's funny to hear it's funny to hear you talk about how in spain other political news doesn't bubble up into the transom. But, I mean, we have that same problem here now. You know, there's there's lots of things going on. As Sam Steiner, and Sam Steiner wrote a really good thing that talked about how amid all of the, the, the shoes dropping and all of the scandals that we, we've come to expect now at happy hour every day, uh, Trump's actually getting things done. Jeff Sessions has rolled back uh, criminal justice reforms that had bipartisan support in the previous administration. Uh, there's talk of of pulling out of the cuba opening 
Uh, Dodd-Frank. I mean, there are a lot of regulations under Dodd-Frank, which their regulators oh, are yeah, just kind of openly not enforcing. There's so labor, it, labor regulations. There's uh, there, the, the retirement plans for, for low-wage workers. These things are all being done behind the scenes, and yet even that stuff isn't bubbling up. And yet we also have a whole other country full of things going on, and if a guy, if a guy doesn't punch Ben Jacobs, you don't hear about him. I think it really just speaks to the uh, supreme awfulness of the scandals, though. It's rather true. than uh, myopia by the media. No, and it's else. it's tr- it's I true. Agree. It's true. I mean, you have no idea. We 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 live through this, but you have no idea the the aftershocks this has on the rest of the government. It convulses. Meetings get canceled. Hearings get canceled. It's crazy. But Zach, okay, you you're over and you happen to be over in Europe at the same time Donald Trump was. Uh, and people obviously asked you, do you know Donald Trump in that way? I mean, that when it, you're on college leave, you're like, oh, you're from Vassar? Do you know this guy from Vassar? What, was <laughs> it a coincidence that we were both over there at the same time, though? I mean, <laughs> I, I was thinking about maybe <laughs> calling into the Sean Hannity show and just seeing his thoughts. Are you saying that you are Donald Trump? I don't get it. <laughs> I am a vaccine. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump doesn't believe in me. There, there, well, well, let's talk about vaccines a little bit and things Donald Trump doesn't believe in because, uh, you know, people – uh, you love to talk about about Donald Trump being a birther who thinks vaccines cause autism, Arthur. So don't give me and that. And who look. thinks exercise is junk science? Yeah, who thinks exercise is junk science? But fact. one of the things that's interesting about about vaccines is that uh, they're easy to dismiss because they work. No bad things happen. Bad things in general don't don't happen because people get vaccines. The problem is averted. We don't have people walking around suffering from polio, right? right. Uh, so people think, oh, I don't have to vaccinate my kid. I'll just give them more green tea extract or whatever, and it'll it's be one fine. of those things that runs in the background, like a processor, right? And I think to some extent, the NATO, uh, the North Atlantic Alliance, military alliance that was implemented after World War II to stop essentially European imperialists from going to war with each other and to uh, to fight the Cold War against uh, communist Russia. Um, it seems like a boring thing most of the time. And it seems boring to people because it generally works uh, because these countries haven't gone to war with each other, which historically was a thing they did all the time. Taken for granted. Right. And while I was in Europe, uh, Donald Trump was in Europe too, talking about NATO. And uh, it it, this is this, this is not a thing that's a huge story most of the time, but it is it is really problematic. I think that after that visit, Angela Merkel, Chancellor of Germany, is talking about Europe sort of being on its own now. Uh, that for that alliance to be under strain after a single visit uh, is is not good. And would you say would you say the alliance is under strain just from that single visit? I mean, Brexit did happen, and a- Angela Merkel did also lump the UK in this sort of they've wandered off and now we're on our own too. Mm-hmm. I, look, the, Europe is in Europe is under strain right now. The, the the thing that I think when I was growing up, you know, in the eighties and nineties, we thought of Europe as a place of stability, harmony. People, different countries, got along pretty well. Um, since the since the the monetary union started disintegrating really with the the financial crisis in 2008 uh that that sort of polity of you know mutual respect and 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 communion has been under a lot of strain and just walking around spain you talk to to people who like would say all the time you know i believe in a european union but i'm not sure i believe in this european union um and and so this is a, a time where it would be really, really useful for the United States to exercise some leadership. To, I mean, look, we can talk about Brexit being crazy. We can talk about Donald Trump being crazy. The German government's kind of crazy too. The way it's conduct, it's basically in charge of economic policy in the eurozone, and the way it's conducted economic policy with respect to Spain, Portugal, Greece, Ireland, uh, Italy has been really insane and and frankly predatory. So, uh, so the, the United States needs to be involved in that alliance to keep things from getting out of control because. Historically, these countries go to war with each other, and that's very bad. These wars are not good wars. So Donald Trump comes along, and he's crapping on the globalists because his candidate, the entire concept of Trumpism is fueled by people who think there's a global conspiracy by Jews to create a, a one-world government, and Trump translates this into bashing NATO. Yes. Uh, he says NATO is obsolete Among other campaign. things he's bashed. But yes, NATO has been one of and those. So, and so it seemed as though he had maybe stepped back from that when he reversed himself as president and said NATO is not obsolete. But then he went to Europe while you were there, Zach, and he said uh, – you know, he repeated his earlier claims that NATO nations really need to pay up for their security. NATO members must finally contribute their fair share and meet – 
their financial obligations. But 23 of the 28 member nations are still not paying what they should be paying. This is not fair to the people and taxpayers of the United States. And I don't actually fundamentally disagree with him that much on that on that point. The United States does, you know, basically finances most of NATO. The other countries can be kind of skimpy about it. I also don't think it's that big a deal because the price of not go if, you know, the price of having to pay too much for NATO is not having World War 3. I'm cool with it. But isn't this the uh, big isn't this <laughs> right. the diss? I mean, isn't but, this what But look, it's 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 a legitimate complaint, right? I mean, I don't I don't think that that comes out of nowhere. The problem is not that he that he raised this issue but the fact that the way that he raised it caused angela merkel to go oh we're on our own he did it in such a dickish way and in a context of a campaign in which he was bashing globalists and international alliances more generally uh that you know i i I think he damaged that relationship and and he damaged it and and it's not just trump right the the republican party trump's not just like a blip on the radar right now because the republican party is going along with him and these these leaders in europe are looking at the united states government and saying Oh, well, it really looks like, you know, for when we were watching the election, I I think we talked a lot about how Trump's election showed that Republican voters, all the all the principles of conservatism about, you know, economic liberty and government regulations and free trade. Like, turns out none of the Republican voters believed in that. It it bends toward Trump. Right. I think what leaders in other countries are saying is that exact same thing now appears to be true for members of Congress and for actual Republican politicians. They also don't believe in in these sort of traditional conservative ideas. They're they're kind of just more into Trump. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't be more apparent. They've been completely subsumed within Trumpism. Um, What did you you make of that that odd thing Trump had to say about Germany and uh, their auto exports? Well, look, I, Trump. When Trump talks about trade and and things like that, I he often there, there is some truth to what he's saying. Um, but so the, one of the main problems with the European Union's arrangement right now is that Germany is essentially exporting its stuff everywhere else, and everybody else is not being able to export to Germany. So there is a trade imbalance within Germany, the same way the United States has an imbalance in trade with Mexico and with, uh, with, with China, which results effectively in the periphery countries being poor. And this is reflected in the monetary arrangements um, and high unemployment in the periphery and lots of employment in, uh, in, in Germany. So the idea that Germany has too many exports actually is a legitimate complaint. What to do about that is very complicated and involves a whole lot of stuff with the IMF and monetary systems and currencies. Um, I don't think he really had a particularly coherent vision for for how to deal with it. But it is true. I mean, at the heart of the imbalance in the EU, I don't even know if if Trump understands this, is Germany exporting too much? That that really is a thing. I, I didn't think Trump understood that we don't actually have like a bilateral trade agreement with Germany. Mm. Like uh, basics. Yeah, but I mean – Donald Trump thinks vaccines cause autism, guys. <laughs> he doesn't understand anything. Right. Uh, but but look, the, unfortunately, the leadership of the EU is very bad. I mean they, they have created economic like suffering on a vast scale within so the European qu- periphery. quickly, what is the upshot of this? It's uh, conventional wisdom that Vladimir Putin stands to gain from Europe's – yeah. Oh, yes. And and with the ongoing, uh, you know, just calamitous mess in, in the White House regarding, uh, you know, Jared Kushner, Michael Flynn and various other people who had contact with the Russian government. It, it sure looks like um, I, mean, I think there are people in, in Europe who, who see the U.S. is like drifting into sort of client state territory for Russia. Russia has already annexed territory. They, they're already doing some of the imperialist stuff you talked about. So there, there's basically fear that that could continue. Yeah, and that the United States is is now more interested in allying itself with Russia than it ha- is with its NATO allies. Huh, well, hmm. that's bad. What tell, I don't know if you can really – we talked about this being like sort of something that runs in the background, but what's what's the world like in a, in a if if the United States is, is has parted ways with NATO if Europe is truly on their own what what kind of future do you do you foresee in that kind of situation look there's all kinds of different futures that could could emerge uh, you know we maybe we'll all be just sipping wine and being fun and having a nice time together but I, I think what's what's much more what, what if if you were really trying to plan a, you know a, a new set of global alliances that are to improve on the status quo you wouldn't just tear up nato and walk away from it right you you 
particularly with Russia being a you know kind of human rights hellhole, uh, Saudi Arabia being a human rights hellhole, which we're going to talk about with Akbar later. Uh, you, know, you, you wouldn't just go around if, if you were trying to improve the, the the global state of affairs, just glad handing with a bunch of human rights abusers, and then and then telling your your other allies who have better human rights records that they can really go take a hike and pay up. All right. Well, <laughs> it's going to be a weird couple of years <laughs> for all of us and for our European friends. All right. We have a really nice show today. We're going to talk a little bit more about foreign policy, and then we're going to jump back to Capitol Hill to take a look at Congress for a change. Uh, so stick with us. We'll be right back. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we're back. So we've talked about Donald Trump's trip to Europe, which left many of our European allies feeling somewhat cut off and adrift from their previous position. Uh, But now we're going to talk about where he was before he went to Europe. Uh, There was an orb involved. And uh, he left a markedly different impression on people in this country. We're going to talk about Saudi Arabia, of course. And uh, joining us, we've got Arthur Delaney. Hello. And uh, pleased to welcome back to the show all-around smart man, Akbar Ahmed. Thank you. Hi. So what about the orb? Let's just start with the orb. What was that thing? Just to break the ice a little bit, that orb, man. (laughs) So there was an orb in the desert. Uh, It was at a (laughs) – the orb appeared uh, and the president clutched it. But it was was at this counterterrorism, countering terrorist ideology center that – was inaugurated by President Donald Trump, a constant feature of ISIS recruitment videos. Saudi King Salman, a spreader of the ideology that promotes many extremists around the region, and President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, who has worsened the extremist crackdown in Egypt. And they all touched an orb. They all touched an orb, which was supposed to symbolize <laughs> the circular nature by which they all foment terror together, I guess. I, I don't have an answer for you. A spherical way. Um, I just want to... Be- I'm just putting everyone on notice. I am going to steal the orb. Okay. I'm putting the marker out there. Sounds anyone, like a real caper. Anyone out there <laughs> wants to join me in a mission to steal the orb, let me know. We will steal the we will steal that orb and make it our own. So, uh, a lot of people have been saying that it was pretty unusual for Donald Trump to uh, for his first international visit to choose a human rights hellhole autocratic nightmare nation, Saudi Arabia. Of course, Saudi Arabia is, you know, our, quote, partner in peace. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, the trip was billed as a trip through world religions, uh, which sounds fine. But what do you think was accomplished by – what was this all about? Uh, A lot of things, I think, uh, for Trump. He seems to actually not like being called a bigot. 
one would think that one approach would be to not do bigoted things. But he took the other approach, which is to go to Saudi Arabia and make it look like he was embracing Muslims. So he built his speech as uh, an outreach to the Islamic world. And that was very much the talk there. For the Saudis, it was about buying a lot of weapons, $110 billion worth, to be exact, uh, and feeling that after President Obama, who had who had really questioned the U.S.-Saudi partnership, not walked away from it, but said, here are a few problems. Why don't you do something about them? The Saudis are coming back to what that comes fluid. And which, just to be clear, the, the Iran deal was also a Iran, de facto. A it, was treated, it was treated by Saudis as a de facto. He's walking away from us. Yes, the Syria red line really upset them too. Uh, letting Hosni Mubarak be overthrown upset them. A lot of things you know, under Obama they were not happy about. This was a way for them to feel that they have carte blanche again and to really dovetail with Trump's America first rhetoric by saying, we're giving you some of our oil money, go spend it on American jobs for Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and more. Right, yes, it all, it's circle of life, basically. One upshot of this trip that you wrote on is that it seems the Saudi regime is emboldened uh, yeah. with regard to executions. Yeah, so human rights abuses, obviously Saudi Arabia is a... Consistent human rights uh, violator and an autocratic government that doesn't brook any opposition, executes people, targets them on the basis of their faith, their sex, uh, sexual orientation, all kinds of things. Trump left Saudi Arabia on a Sunday and about 10 days later, Saudi authorities announced that they were going back to executions for detained protesters, which is a really big deal. Uh, Saudi has executed people every year for a range of crimes. But for a year and a half, they had stopped executing people arrested for political reasons because they realized that that's kind of bad. <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to do that. Um, you, they crushed dissent really brutally, but they weren't executing actual protesters. A 23-year-old with disabilities who says he lost his hearing because he was so badly tortured by Saudi authorities was the person in whose case the Saudis indicated the shift the court said, we're going to go ahead and we're going to put him on death row. So he has one more appeal. Uh, and it's a significant policy shift. Human rights advocates are really nervous, thinking last year the Saudis did this. They got a ton of pushback. And they stopped. You know, it's, it's hard not to see uh, what Wilbur Ross said immediately after the Sa- trip to Saudi Arabia as encouraging this kind of behavior. If you recall, uh, Ross, uh, who apparently has never been anywhere. This is his first time in Saudi Arabia or outside his house. Uh, was 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 just gaga with praise over the fact that everywhere they went in Saudi Arabia, there weren't people holding placards or complaining. He thought it was just remarkable. And I guess he thought, maybe he thought, oh, well, these people are just also just like with it and, 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 and affable and really know now that they'd be killed if they showed up and did that. Right. So um, it's not surprising to see Saudi So I, I wonder if this uh, could be the beginnings of uh, what we'll eventually understand to be Trump doctrine. You know, part of it was he, he talked about withdrawing from world affairs, intervening less in other countries' business. And does, I guess does that maybe mean uh, looking away uh, from human rights abuses in other countries? Right. Part of that is saying that you can do what you want. As Trump said in Saudi, uh, we are not here to lecture. We are not here to tell other people how to live, what to do, who to be, or how to worship, which all sounds well and good. But the subtext there is go forth and oppress, right? And we have seen not one, not just the Saudis do this, two other US-aligned governments that were with Trump at that summit. Bahrain and Egypt have cracked down brutally in a way they haven't in in months, you know, almost a year. So the U.S. is now sending mixed signals, basically, because you still have career State Department people and senators like John McCain saying, this is totally contrary to everything that we think is good about humanity, having a, a government that crushes dissent with beheadings for protesters. And U.S. legislation is pretty clear on the fact you can't give assistance to consistent human rights violators. It's worth pointing out that Trump has also given his seal approval to uh, Duterte's death squads and Phil- in, um, not Philadelphia. I'm really bad today. Um, the <laughs> Philippines. Um, <clears throat> correct. And, and so it's a vision of world affairs. I'm sure if there were death squads in Philadelphia, he would approve of those too. Right. It, it's, it's very much like we are leaving your governments alone, right? So it's not an America that wants to appeal at all to what Bush used to call hearts and minds, to actual populations. It's about your ruler, 
be as tough as you want, and I want to deal with you, not your country, no matter how many millions of people live there and what conditions they live under. You, this brings into even starker relief what happened when uh, President Erdogan of Turkey was here a few weeks ago, and he sicked his bodyguards on peaceful protesters who are American citizens yeah. and beat the crap out of them right in front of D.C. police, right near the White House. I mean, this is the kind of thing that yeah. the Trump administration seems to be fine with. And the president hasn't commented. Uh, as far as I know, no one high up from the administration has commented. No one hired on a State Department spokesperson. Senators, Congress people, you know, are out there talking about this, including Republicans. What did the State Department say about that? You've been following the story yeah, for they, us. Uh, they said they were in touch with the Turkish government and expressed, you know, their, their disgust in the strongest possible terms. Hmm. And that's it. I mean, which, uh, you know, what the Trump administration says is, we do talk about human rights. You just don't hear it because we do it in private, which any human rights advocate will tell you is garbage, right? I mean, when when it's Trump saying it or Obama. Right, yeah. The Trump administration is not recoiling from the toxic call-out culture. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, You know, I've been trying to circle around to what a Trump doctrine might be uh, also. And I, I feel like these trips were... Quite illustrative because I'd always sort of thought that maybe the way Trump viewed the world was in terms of negotiations, and I figured that like, well, you know, he's a he's he's not a positive sum person. He, I, I worried that he'd be uh, that a concession to, in any negotiation would be seen as a loss. But it, that took a hit during this trip because he 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 secured a sweetheart arms deal for Saudi Arabia. Yeah. He's he's sort of given them green light to do do a lot of things. Uh, at the same time, in in Europe. He's really left them frosted. And I, I sort of now think that the accurate way to call the Trump doctrine is he likes global competition. Mm. He doesn't like community building. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like global communities. He would rather see nations in, in competi- fighting with each other and, and under the belief that Americas would take some success out of their material advantages, be it economic or military. Um at the same time, I, I feel I feel like he'd be okay with diminishing the United States standing if it was a client state relationship. I don't think he'd be okay with a situation where America was a mere partner to some kind of community oriented global community oriented effort. I think right. that that's the cuck move. That's the cuck move. Yeah. I, I would say the Trump doctrine is kind of screw you guys. You know, I mean, and I think that's consistent throughout even the Saudi trip. Yes, he gave the Saudis what they wanted. He didn't get anything for the U.S., by the way. So not a great negotiation from the American perspective. But it's basically a doctrine that says, do whatever you want. I honestly could not care less. I will come in and reap the spoils, as you're saying, right? Take what I want when I I want I think it's probably even simpler than either of those. Much simpler than what Jason's saying. I can't imagine Trump actually thinking... Any of these things about <laughs> it's a, good point. A, a world of nations competing in which there are clients. No, he likes tough guys. Yeah, it, if I think tough guys are, are cracking skulls. He thinks that's great. Yeah, but he see, would like, love to do that himself. You see, yeah. NATO, NATO in his worldview then is not are not tough guys. The Europe eurozone are not tough guys. Multilateral trade agreements between partners are not are not being tough. Being a partner is not tough. No, he, well, he's saying you guys. All he's saying to the NATO countries is. You guys got to spend more on your militaries like we do. Right. It's total tough guy stuff. Yeah. So that we all fight each other and then the U.S. comes in, right? And No, I don't, I, I don't think Trump thinks that far ahead. I don't think he's got oh, chess or checkers. Uh, I, and this I, is how he got tough. to Tom Fifi or Carl Fifi, right? He's oh, the sort big, of stops mid-thought. The big typo that yes. has been like the biggest story of the week for some reason. It's been like such a relief for people to just marvel at Trump's <laughs> midnight typo. On a tweet that got deleted. Right, I know, I know. What can I say? Now, let's. We got to pull back a little bit yeah. here. Uh, it's not like Donald Trump became president and suddenly America became super friendly with the Saudi government. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I we've been we've been pussyfooting with the kingdom for as long as I can remember. Yeah. But what? So, is there a material? What's the material difference? That is a material difference in that Obama was. For all that he sustained the relationship, he was willing to kind of bug them, needle them, right? Push them in these ways. Obama publicly said while he was president, he told Tom Friedman, why I don't talk to Tom Friedman is a different question, but he told Tom Friedman in an interview, 
that the Saudi, the Saudis and our other friends in the Gulf states would be better served if they looked at their own populations and thought about what they wanted rather than obsessing about Iran all the time. I mean, that is frank, honest talk, which frankly is a little bit like a friend. It's not, it's not like recoiling and saying you're horrible, but right. it's kind of having that long-term vision. Uh, I think it is different because Trump is kind of saying, no matter how, what you do, uh, no matter how self-destructive it is or how vile it is, repugnant by international moral standards, do it. Go ahead. I don't care. And in the long run, I mean, that's not going to benefit the Saudis or the, the U.S. The Obama administration gave the Saudis material support for their brutal war in Yemen. How has the Trump administration continued to change that? They're ramping it up. They're expanding it hugely. Uh, they, part of this, Who is they? The Trump administration. The Part of the arms deal that we're discussing, the $110 billion deal, includes weapons that the Obama administration did not want to give the Saudis after seeing their behavior in Yemen. Uh, and the Trump administration has suggested they would be supportive of Saudi tactics that would never have been acceptable under the Obama administration, in- huh. including targeting a port through which about 70% of Yemen's food supplies and medical supplies come. Yeah. The Trump administration has basically said, do it. If you want to do it, do it. Wow. So uh, the suffering of starving children in Yemen was like the symbol that intellectual conservatives use to complain about the the hawkish of Hillary Clinton yes, and say, well, maybe we should take our chance with somebody who wouldn't do that kind of thing. <laughs> that yeah. was such a joke. It was, uh, you know, the, uh, right. Trump as the non-warmonger was always, ex- the fact that so many people allowed themselves to be possessed by that belief was always astonishing to me. This is a guy who said that he would murder the families of people associated with ISIS, regardless of whether they were knit up in that or not. And he's doing it. And he's doing it, yes. And there's evidence that he's doing that. Um, one last thing I want to I talk about. There is an op-ed today uh, in the Wall Street Journal, Eric Prince. Um, <laughs> Yes. Former Blackwater. I guess his company is now called Academy. They've been through so many different rebranding efforts because they are all shit heels. These are the the mercenary contractors who do do war for hire. The the geniuses who brought us the Nisor Square Massacre. Uh, He's advocating for a new policy in Afghanistan that I guess would sort of – it calls to mind the Dutch East India Company. Um, What would be the ramifications of – sort of sending an American viceroy to Afghanistan to essentially uh, General MacArthur that place. think he'd get a nice pat on the back, maybe a goat, and be sent back on his merry way. I mean, this is not what the Afghans want or where they are at all. Um, Eric Prince neglects to mention that as he describes these wonderful in his Wall Street Journal op-ed, these wonderful American contracts so that American soldiers don't have to be there, the entity with which those contacts are going to be made, which is, of course, the new Blackwater, right? So this is not this is not a, a strategy proposal as much as it's a sales pitch. Yeah. Let me be this viceroy. I will go do it. And it's it's not... It, he promises to end the war in Afghanistan. He very cleverly... We were talking about Trump as, Trump as non-warmonger. He packages a Blackwater sales pitch as, this is a way to get the U.S. out of endless war. By starting a new private mercenary force... And having your army, so and it's 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 nonsense. Part of me would much rather see Eric Prince and Blackwater goons bogged down in that graveyard than American soldiers. I'll be honest. Mm, weird. <laughs> weird. I'm not sure what I think you of have that. Some weird fetishes. So we started with the orb. We ended <laughs> with Eric. Yeah, yeah. It's from orb to Eric. Um, Akbar, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having uh, me, Arthur. You're welcome. You know it's great to have you. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad. Uh, and we'll be back in a moment. Hey there, listeners. Are you a So That Happened fan? Then you should drop us a line sometime at so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Let us know what you think of the show. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want to help us out, subscribe, tell your friends, leave us a review on iTunes. Your words of praise help us claw our way up the podcast charts. And now, back to the show. And we're back. Yo, uh, we got Arthur Delaney here. Hi, hi. And we're very, very, very excited to have with us uh, one of our, our great Hill reporters and uh, Tortilla Coast enthusiast, Matt Fuller. 
Hey. Is here. <laughs> so, Matt, let me take you through like a predicament I'm in yeah. over the past week. You know, it was Memorial Day weekend. And, you know, normally on the weekend, I do nothing but sit around and absorb news all day. Uh, oh. But I actually took two days off because a friend of mine came from Los Angeles and we were showing her around the city. We went to memorials and stuff like that. And what was amazing is so much news happened and I was so behind on it. Like right away. I feel like, I feel like if you take your, your eye off the prize any day, you're, it's, it's like off Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. So this is going to be as much me catching up as anything else. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> this is just for my own edification. Right. This is, <laughs> could you tell me what happened? While this? No, it, it, it's, it's, it's really crazy how like, I, I took two days off to just like do my own thing. I came back. I was like, "Whoa, what what's yeah. going on?" Imagine Jer- like normal Jer- people. Kushner, Congress, yeah. subpoenas, <laughs> Kushner. <laughs> it's it's nonsense. It's hot hot nonsense. But yeah. we want to talk about what's going on on Capitol Hill with congressional Republicans as they adapt to the constantly changing atmosphere of worry and I don't want to say scandal yet, but you know we're sort of we're sort of trending in that direction. Mm-hmm. What. what what is going on right now up up, up on Capitol Hill um, among <laughs> – I mean the, the easy answer is like who the hell knows. Um, this Russia investigation you know, is, is sort of spiraling, not out of control but just every day seems to be un- unfolding in this new uh, development or uh, new you – know, now we have subpoenas coming out from the House Intelligence Committee. Um, and you know, the position, the initial position of Republicans that there's no there there, that – Continually seems to be undermined by the fact that, um, you know, we just keep on getting these new disclosures. I, you know, Arthur and I were talking before and, uh, you just get, you find out there's another meeting with Jeff Sessions and Kislyak, um, that no he, one ever knew that about. No one ever knew about and he didn't disclose. And I mean, like, uh, again, I, I don't want to sound like the, um, paranoid Luis Mensch kind of person here, <laughs> but, um, it's certainly not the position, the initial position of Republicans that there's nothing there. This is just a, you know, political witch hunt. People are sour grapes over um, losing the election. That doesn't seem to be a tenable position at this point. Um, the more we learn, the more we have. You know, people like Brennan coming out and saying, "Absolutely, the Russians meddled in this election." There seems to be something really serious there. Well, let's step back. So, first of all, there were calls for an investigation into the election because Russia hacked the election, provided the contents of Democratic email. Let's be specific. Inboxes. They didn't. We, I don't want to use the term "hack the election" because that gets ha- people's mind. I, why, that's why you start I'm... to think that they actually actually manipulated boxes. voter boxes. And that kind okay, of thing. for Christ's sake! It's it's a nice shorthand, but I think it's led people into yeah. some crazy, crazy cul-de-sacs. Yeah. I, and we are whatever. in crazy cul-de-sac uh, territory a little the, bit too. Okay, like, so 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 Republicans initially, after Trump became president, were like, look, you know, they didn't, they clearly didn't hack voter boxes. People voted. Our election had integrity. Uh, there's no evidence the Trump and, campaign colluded with right. Russia to make this happen. Sure. And then it's been a nonstop barrage for four months of new revelations of people associated with Trump or his campaign meeting well, with the Russian officials. I don't think we should assume much of anything. Um, I mean, you you were on terra firma there for a while and then you said something like, you know, they didn't collude. And like, we don't actually know. Everything. It does not seem. Well, they may have. Yes. It just doesn't. It just doesn't seem um, likely that there was, you know, meddling in a back room with like Putin and Trump or something. But like, we do know that to this extent, like Trump said actively, you know, yeah, go hack your emails. Like, I hope the Russians do. Like, in some ways, you know, if if you were just someone, just an outside observer, alien coming down, you're like, oh wait, isn't that like the smoking gun? (laughs) Like, isn't that? (laughs) Didn't he just like what did uh, you know? Um, So it's weird. I mean. you're you're right, and I and I think it's worth not like getting into the conspiracy fueled stuff, but sticking to the facts and sticking to what we know, uh, I think is important at this point. And um, Republicans generally, I mean, they're playing this game too. Like how Republicans on the Hill get away with all this and basically saying you know Hillary lost, whatever, is you just say, well, we're waiting for the investigation, and this is a you know it's a very pat safe line. Paul Ryan uses it all the time. You know, I'm not going to really comment on that until. We know the facts and we won't know the facts until the House Intelligence Committee has released you know, those facts. Um, you could call those, some of that into question. Certainly um, the new you – know, the revelations that we're going to have an independent or special counsel, I should say, um, I think calls into question the, the ability of, of uh, the, just the congressional committees to do this um, as much as you know, 
Paul Ryan and other Republican leaders said it's appropriate that just they do it, uh, that again, to keep on coming back to this word, just became untenable at some point with all the new development. That's what they were saying until the Justice Department was like, okay, we're going to have our own investigation. And then what did Republicans say about that? Yeah, I mean, it's just an amazing, you know, they they never call for anything new, but once something new happens, um, like there's no agency with Republicans right now. It's like as soon as there's a special counsel, oh, yeah, I agree with the creation of that. I mean, that's sort of Paul Ryan's pat response. You know, he didn't agree when when Devin Nunes, uh, you know, people were saying he needs to recuse, recuse himself. He's clearly been politically compromised here as the leader of the House Intelligence Committee and, and uh, leading that investigation. He was a huge Trump cheerleader. He was on the tr- transition national security team. Uh, he's meeting at the White House with White House officials, and Trump, you know, Paul Ryan will not call for him to be removed. And then finally, he says, oh, "I'm going to step down." And Paul Ryan suddenly, uh, that's an appropriate move, uh, you know. And, and then <laughs> it sounds to me like Paul Ryan is just sort of going with the current wherever it's taking it. Absolutely, and 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 that seems to be the Republican, you know, mo here at this point is is you just keep your mouth shut, say I don't know the facts. Of the intelligence committee is looking at that, and as soon as a new development happens, you just shift into you know I think that's appropriate. That the with the FBI doing its own special counsel investigation, does that make the House intelligence does that make the intelligence committee sort of superfluous? Or can they do valuable work? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, look, they're they're already subpoenaing um, you know, now you've got Cohen and Flynn. I think they're doing real work here. I don't I don't I don't think that this is just, you know, these guys sitting around and like picking their noses. I think there's some real investigative work here and um there's been questions about whether or not particularly Senate intelligence has the resources to do this. I mean, I know with the CIA torture report, which was, you know, I think 2012 or whatever, it was a massive staff of people. And now we're talking, you know, less than a dozen people who are working on this. So there's some questions about the staffing needs, which is, again, why I think um, the special counsel is sort of necessary. But it will definitely be interesting to see the contrast between whatever public report um, the intelligence, the Senate intelligence and the House intelligence committee puts out and whatever – you know the FBI and the special uh, counsel report, whatever that it looks like. Um, we're going to get a good view of this, and I think we'll we might even see some disagreements, and which is sort of the nature of intelligence gathering and and sort of those conclusions. And, you know, a lot of this isn't hundred percent slam dunk clear. So the the committees subpoenas are flying out of these committees, particularly this. I'm week. flying, but yeah, a couple. Of the well, first... there were multiple subpoenas. <laughs> you know, I, I consider that. <laughs> Flying! <laughs> wow, they're, they're really doing stuff. There's a lot of subpoena action, and I, I don't know. I don't know all the. I mean, there's unmasking documents is the other yeah. component of this. Um, but yeah, they're doing they're doing work finally, and I think it's it's taken them a while to kind of get a handle on who they need to contact and who they need to hear from. Um, but if you know, if Cohen, if Flynn goes in and talks, and I mean to these um, committees, and like, we're we're going to find out some things, and they're going to get them on the record um, for a lot of stuff that. We previously we just don't have answers for. Now there's a lot of talk about this work completely interfering with everything else on their agenda, but we did see them manage to get through the House of Representatives their weird Obamacare repeal bill. Do you think they'll still be able to do that kind of thing, or, or will the will this become an even bigger distraction? Yeah, this was supposed to be a rapid fire from, if I recall, the Gantt Paul chart. Ryan's plan. It was it was the Obamacare repeal, uh, tax reform. Uh, uh, border adjustment tax yeah. and massive tax cuts. That yeah. was the boom, 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 boom we wanted to do. Again, I, I, you know, I don't know if you, everyone is familiar with a Gantt chart, but like there's you know, a sequential order to these things and there were timelines that we were supposed to hit for this. I think um, you know, Easter break was for Obamacare and like tax reform was – Whatever I know, they were talking about August recess and these things. I mean, even Steve Mnuchin, who is the most optimistic of the tax reform advocates, he's even saying like, "Oh yeah, that's going to like fall off." By the way, so kind of, um, they are way behind. I mean, uh, last Thursday, um, Paul Ryan told the committee they're four months behind, which is like there's like five months right now. Where <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how they're actually. I mean, there comes a time in a Congress's life, the life yeah. of Congress, where <laughs> well, you, we can't, you can no longer do meaningful work because of the vagaries of the elections. A, a Congress is alive for two years, but really only one year because the second year they got a campaign. Is that is that a fair? Yeah, I mean, there's there's you know there's a, a fair amount of um, real work that's done before that. I'd say by by the end of July. Um, in next year, Congress is functionally done, save for maybe having to come back in September and doing a, a CR or an omnibus or whatever. So they haven't completed a single appropriations bill. Um, you know, funding the government. Funding That's the what government. Those do right. 
Uh, and and that's something we generally try to get rolling in. Yeah, there's basic stuff beyond all these grand plans that they need to do. Right. There's just the the normal housekeeping, and that um, presents some real challenges for them because um, if you haven't, they haven't done a budget. Again, you're supposed to have done that way back now. We're in June now. Uh, that hasn't happened. And as much as you say we're going to release a budget, we're going to get it done. Um, there's a lot of been there's been a lot of set expectations now with Trump. He's been able to sort of say this is a balanced budget, whatever. It'll be very difficult for Republicans to actually balance the budget uh, when you're not depending on three percent growth and uh, sort of unrealistic uh, assumptions. So there's a lot of different um, timelines here that they have to hit, and um, they're not hitting them. So now they're going to try to get creative maybe and try to combine appropriations bills and do all sorts of hokey stuff. But um, you know, really the appropriations process is the only thing that they're really doing right now that's real. The tax reform stuff uh, that they're talking about, it's all sort of in committees. It's all very theoretical and they're running into major problems here with basically – you have the border adjustment tax, which is you know Paul Ryan's preferred thing. Some people want to call it tariff, whatever. Um, it's not popular. It's not going anywhere. I think that's like Boehner, an understatement. Isn't yeah, it, Boehner call? called it deader than a doornail, and yeah. you know, that's not something <laughs> Boehner generally does. Uh, although it was very Boehner in his own way, but um, it's just not going anywhere. And without that kind of component for removing, uh, they need that the revenue of of something like like that too to actually. make the baseline game work. Right, yeah. right. So uh, to, without that, there's really no answer. And and Paul Ryan's answer all along has been, you know, okay, if you don't want that, then like show me your tax plan. And no one has one, right? But um, they also know that they don't want to do that. So we're stuck in this weird world of maybe they can figure out some smaller modified thing. But Trump, you know, generally doesn't like to settle for you know a quarter loaf. That doesn't seem like his game. Seems just to be like carry on with the delusion of we're going to get this massive tax reform that will be great for everyone, and you know everyone's taxes will be cut, and oh my god, jobs for everyone. So um, squaring those sort of uh, public declarations and, and the actual um, what can actually get done in Congress is is going to be painful at some point for Republicans and there's definitely going to be some sort of hell to pay when it's clear that they're not doing the things that they said they were going to do and they're just unable to do them. You know, here's this, maybe okay, this might be a weird question to ask, but obviously there's so much attention on Republicans in Congress. Um, what about the Democratic side of things? No one, th- there shouldn't be maybe high expectations attached to their legislative acumen because they're in the minority in both houses and it's very hostile and they're not likely to be able to bring bills to the floor. But it, 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 you find it weird that in the in the in the creation of this sort of policy vacuum has been created both by uh, you know, the ineptitude of of things like the health care bill and this ongoing. Uh, Trump-Russia scandal, which has caused so many delays and so many problems across the board. Do you find it weird that Democrats aren't filling that vacuum with yeah. at least <clears throat> rhetorically with ideas of their own? So I mean there's – I think there's absolutely two schools of thought here f- from Democrats. On, um, the, the first one is Republicans are making a mistake. Um, this health care bill that they – Yeah, don't interrupt your enemy, right, when they're making a mistake. Um, and we saw that with the health care bill. I think there was – you know. Democrats may have sort of played this up in this sort of theatrical way, but them sort of cheering on the House floor for Republicans passing a bill that will cost Republicans seats. I mean, it just will. And one that they don't actually think is going to ever still become law. That's just the disagreement between the House and Senate. So it's like you just expose your members to a very difficult vote. And when the time comes, we will, you know, there will be, again, the hell to pay when we make it clear that, hey, you voted against protecting people with pre-existing conditions. And hey, um, you know, are you 55? Your health insurance is going to shoot through the roof. Um, So there's that. And then there's also the other school of thought of like where the hell have Democrats been and like why aren't they taking to the streets and why aren't they, you know, shouting down um, you know, every Republican they can. And the, and you know, I resist. think resist. I mean, there is actually an element there. And I think um, you know, I think actually the CBC, the Congressional Black Caucus is sort of leading that right now. You're seeing um, Maxine Waters who's really been forceful about impeaching Trump and I think they'll be sort of the tip of the spear going forward on the, you know, quote resist movement in Congress. Um but again, like leadership is kind of content, like cutting deals that they like. I mean, the, the, you know, on the actual things that have been signed into law, like the biggest one is this, um, I don't know, what do you want to call it? An omnibus or cromnibus, whatever. Basically an omnibus that was signed back in, uh, April. It was really good for Democrats. I mean, it was basically a bill that Obama would have signed. <laughs> um, sure. And there weren't many Republican wins there. I mean, they didn't get everything they want, but that's sort of, you know, I just I just imagine this sort of prat falling future where where Democrats have gotten so you know convinced 
that Trump is going to fall under his own weight. They've got you know ads in the can with Russia content in it. Right. If all that shit doesn't pan out, there's right, no right. collusion, no scandal. Then uh, they're going to be asked, "What were your ideas during this time? Were your ideas just to hope that maybe the Russians had compromised the government?" Yeah, I mean, it, isn't not repealing Obamacare a strong idea for I Democrats think to have? It's a super strong idea, and the, one of the big ironies is that the first time Democratic electeds might run on Obamacare is 2018. It's been know, the law of the yeah. land for what? But I mean, a, a, a very, there are very easy milk toast uh, messages for them to run on that, you know, the economy. We'll, let's just see how the economy goes in the next two or four, two to four sure, years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, jobs. I mean, you can look at the job creation numbers under Obama. We'll be able to look at them under Trump. Is he hitting that 3% growth rate? Oh, yeah, sure. They've put them, they've, they have set themselves up. I mean, everyone knows these carrier jobs and, you know, make America great again. Their expectations are high in Trump land. Yeah, for, sure. For, and if he doesn't hey, hit if that, he pulls it off, be. that's a shooting match yeah. right there. Yeah. You know, median income, median wages go up, jobs stay stable. That, then then that's a shooting match. Democrats don't have an answer for that. Yeah. But that's they're betting that he doesn't. So yeah, well, it is perhaps a little bit in cloud cuckoo land, but you never know. All right, Matt, thanks for joining us. Thank we you. look forward to having you back. Yeah, and uh, we shall return momentarily. So that's what happened this week. Uh, well, one programming note: a few hours after we concluded recording this week's show. President Trump announced that he was pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord. We anticipated this, but we're going to have more coverage of this potentially momentous event next week. Meanwhile, this podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Zach Young. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, we were joined by HuffPost reporters Akbar Ahmed, Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Matt Fuller. So That Happened is available on iTunes at iTunes.com slash So That Happened. Please check out the whole family of HuffPost podcasts in the iTunes store. And while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, just send us an email. So That Happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we miss you already. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.